Y'all, I want to do, um, I think the Lord would have us to do a study in Hebrews. And it's on Wednesday nights. And we're just going to go through and study the Bible. It's going to be a kind of preaching, teaching in between, I guess. But uh, this this book is is uh, special. I know every book in the Bible is special. I just think there's a lot of wonderful things we can glean from it. And we're just going to take our time. There's really no rush. We're going to go through it. Uh, and just let the Lord lead us. Uh, let's read the, uh, the first three verses, and then I want to talk just a little bit about it. We may not get beyond this. You know, there's different ways to study. You could study a chapter a night or something like that, or a verse a night. You know, it's how, how fast. I think we might cover these three verses. There's a lot here. But it says, God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, being made the brightness of his glory, and express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's a mouthful, amen? And it's awesome, it's wonderful. Uh, Y'all probably know, but we're going to say it anyway. Uh, we don't want to be ashamed to, uh, to say elementary things or basic things, but uh, just a couple of notes about the book of Hebrews. It was written uh, to the Jewish Christians of the day. Y'all probably know that. That would be the audience. And uh, a lot of people think that Paul was the author. I tend to think that. You can study different commentaries, and it may not tell you exactly. Most people lean towards it being Paul. I believe it's Paul. It's very similar to his writings. But there's not a formal intro like we just read. He didn't say greetings to the church at Galatia or whatever. He just jumped right in there. So people have questioned maybe, and it doesn't say at the end, you know, I, Paul, have written this with my own hands or something like that. But it just sounds like Paul. But we know this for sure. The Holy Ghost wrote it. And that's the main thing. The Holy Spirit wrote it, and it was written to Christians and what... Uh, what was going on at this time, y'all, was a lot of persecution for the Jewish believer. I'm talking about someone that was Jewish by heritage and, and religion, and they got born again. You know, most of the early church was exclusively Jewish, that very first church. And then, um, then it branched out. We know with Peter, where the Lord spoke to him about Cornelius, right? And, and what I've called clean, don't you call unclean? And, he, and it was bringing, but that was God's order, first to the Jews and then to the Gentile. That's just God's plan. Salvation is of the Jews, and Jesus was a Jew by his heritage, okay? He's the, the, the prince of Israel, the savior of Israel, and so forth, and the savior of the whole world. But Jewish Christians at this time were very much persecuted. They, they really caught it from two sides. You and I might go out in your workplace or, or a school, and really get ridiculed maybe on the LSU campus because uh, you're the only one in the class that doesn't believe in the Big Bang Theory. You know, we get ridiculed and mocked. And there is a reality to that. And sometimes it's more than mocking. It's like you don't get hired for a job or you get fired from a job and so forth because of your faith. Those things are real. But not only do these Christians have the normal mocking or ridicule like that. They they caught it from both sides. They caught it from their Jewish family, brothers and sisters. And basically Jewish life would have been Jewish life. It would have been all encompassing from the schools they went to, the synagogues, 
They would work, you know, partnership with business, everything surrounded, uh, surrounded around their Jewish heritage, their Jewish background. It distinguished them, and they were, they were segregated in that sense. And so when a person would give their life to Jesus Christ, remember Jesus said, he, uh, the Bible says he came into his own, his own received him not, in the Gospel of John. So it doesn't mean no Jewish people were saved, but as a whole, the nation of Israel rejected Jesus. We don't want this man to rule over us. Well, what do you want me to do with him, Pilate said. We want you to crucify him. That's what we want you to do with that man. We don't want him to rule over us. But nonetheless, the Lord is still able to save. His hand's not whacked short that he can't save. And he's saving individual Jewish people, sometimes many at a time, like on the day of Pentecost, with 3,000 or 5,000 at the temple when the lame man was healed. But they're, they're being persecuted. When a person would give their life to Jesus Christ, it's very similar to uh, maybe not as, as maybe violent, okay? But it's very similar to as if a Muslim got born again gave their life to Christ. They are put out. You know, as we disown you, we are cutting the ties right here. And they would. So they, they're wandering around, basically, and they wouldn't have the, uh, just all of their life that they were used to. They were just cut off from that. There's kids put out of the schools. They're put out of the synagogues. They're put out of uh, business and just social life, weddings, everything, you know, that went along with that. And so they're being persecuted because of a Jewish people that did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. We, we, they just didn't believe it. They, I mean, what the Jews say, he's got cast out devils by the prince of devils, Beelzebub. They, they did not believe Jesus was the Savior. They want to cast him off a cliff from every one time and kill him. And, and ultimately, they had him crucified. We know it was all God's plan for him to die, but it doesn't excuse their, their sin or their rejection of him. He just knew that's how it would be, and it was. And they're getting persecuted by the world, and the world of that day would have been the Roman world, the Roman mindset, the Roman government, which said you can have no, no king but Caesar, you can have no god but Caesar, you know? And a lot of the Jews might just um, sort of bow down, and they had made their own kind of peace or compromise with, with Rome so they could continue functioning with their Jewish nation. They kind of left each other alone as long as things kind of remain quiet. But for somebody to, to give their life to Christ, and they're not going to bow down to Caesar. He's not deity. He's not God. And we're not going to worship him as God. We're not going to pretend like we worship him as God. So getting persecuted on two, two fronts, I guess, is what I'm saying. So the, one of the themes of this book of Hebrews is, is a, to be a great encouragement for these people. And it wasn't just for those people, it's for us. And Paul even says, I, I didn't look up the scripture, I'm just thinking about it, maybe in 1 Corinthians, these things are written for our admonition. These things of, of these people that have gone before. So it's also for your sake, it's for my sake. Okay? And one of the things, it would be an encouragement, but um, basically, has anybody done a, an in-depth study in Romans? We really studied it. Okay, Alberto has. I remember when uh, uh, years ago it was one of the first studies that, that I ever did and ever taught. But uh, one of the themes, I guess you would say, is that Jesus Christ is better. He's better. Okay? And he is better. He's better than what we had in the world. Okay? And he's better than what these Jews had under the, uh, the religion of Judaism. 
uh, not that there's any fault with the religion of Judaism, it's just to still cling to that when the fulfillment has come would be pointless. There's a better priest, that's one of the themes. There's a better priesthood, there's a better covenant, uh, there's a better uh, sacrifice, Jesus himself instead of the blood of bulls and goats. We know all those scriptures in Hebrews we'll get to down the road. But uh, Jesus Christ is better. And so to encourage a people that are discouraged, and honestly, we've thought about it maybe, I pray it's not a daily thing, but there might be times in your life where you thought of going back. You thought, is this worth it? You know, to serve Christ, is it worth it? I think the Lord quickly by His Spirit uh, convicts us and, and we could keep moving forward, praise God. And, uh, and Paul even says in, in this epistle a little bit later, we're not of those that draw back or, or shrink back to perdition. That means a falling away. We're not of those. I'm persuaded that you're not. And so um, I'm persuaded that you're not, and you, you know, that I'm not. We're going to go through some things in life, y'all. We're going to. This is not, uh, we're going through something right now, okay? This is not foreign. It's not foreign to us. In fact, it's foreign if you never did go through any kind of trial. Think of how strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening. It's like, wow, I never expected this, you know? And I think it's very kind of the Lord in His Word. We don't have to turn there, but we know in John 17 where the Lord's, um, the night before He's crucified, He has that long prayer and that long 16 and 17, those few chapters with His disciples. And He's talking about, you know, I'm going away. The world's going to hate you. Why is the world going to hate you? Well, hated me. I've given you my word, and the world has hated you. They don't want you. They don't want my word. And so, uh, and, you know, see if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He told, he told his followers that. It would be, uh, it'd be a different story if the Lord said, you know, you give your life to me and everything's going to be perfect. You'll, you'll get elected mayor. You know, you'll just, everything's going to be perfect. You'll be promoted at your job. Now, that doesn't mean God can't give us favor. We see that with Joseph or Daniel or different people. Uh, even Jesus found favor with God and man. And I believe there is a favor that we ought to find, like in a holiness where people take notice of that, or an integrity about our lives, or a love in our lives that people take note of. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to like the God you worship, okay? Or want to join you and come along to, to where you are. So, uh, anyway, they're being... They're being told in this epistle that that don't go back. There's nothing to go back to. Peter said like a dog returns to his vomit. So again, that's a pretty graphic illustration, but that's the word of God. The Proverbs, so does a fool return to his folly. Where are you going to go back to? Even Peter, uh, yeah, Peter, when, when all, you know, remember Jesus had 70 disciples, you know, in John chapter 6, and he was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You have no part of me. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? It says, from that time, many left, and they, they no longer walked with the Lord. The Bible says that it was that was it for them. It doesn't say they, they left for a day and came back. It says they walked no more with the Lord. And they had walked with the Lord through a lot, but there was some point. And to me, uh, it's not necessarily why what point they reached where they turned back. It was the point that they reached some point where they did turn back. And we have to know that that we're in this with the Lord. We give our life to Jesus. We belong to Him from now until forever. 
whatever he would allow us to walk through or cause us to walk through, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he's not. And so these, these believers will be encouraged. Don't go back. There's nothing to go back to. Um, you know, 70 disciples, and then he's left with 12 in John chapter 6. And he turns to them and said, are you going to go away too? Why? Because they could have. They could have. And they didn't. You know, Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. We know and are sure that you're the Christ. And Lord, to whom would we go? we got nowhere to go. And y'all, we don't have anywhere to go. This world's going to be burnt up. This world's not your friend. This world is not our home as believers. He tells us that. We're in the world. We're not of the world. And so uh, to, to come together like this is encouraging for us. It's necessary for us. doesn't mean you, couldn't, you know, wouldn't go to heaven if you didn't come to church. If you're born again, you're going to heaven. If you're born again, you're going to the rapture. But we certainly do provoke one another to love and good works. I've said it many times over the years. Not that I have to talk to each individual at every church service. But when I see somebody walk into the church door, it encourages me for a church service. It encourages me because there's someone else of like faith. They're coming to worship my God with me. I might not get a talk, chance to small talk with them before or after the service. It's encouraging. Okay? And, and the fact that we're pressing on together. And so a theme of this whole book, Jesus Christ is better. And because he's better, don't go back. And better in what ways? We're going to look at, at that. Better than what they had under Judaism. There's the Levitical law. There was the, the Levitical priesthood. We'll get into all those details coming up soon. But uh, I want to just read a little from this commentary I was studying. It says, uh, in the world that the world might ask, and I'm just reading from this commentary, we blew it up really big, but y'all can read it from out there. Uh, what do you have? In other words, the, the world may laugh and say, we've got, we've got this, we've got this entertainment, or we've got these friends, or we've got this wealth, or we've got this acceptance among people. What do you Christians have? What do y'all have? And just picture yourself living in this, this day as well. And this, this, this commentary just answers it. It says, in a word, the answer is Christ. We have Christ. We have Jesus Christ. Is he not enough? Is he not that pearl of great Christ where you sell everything? The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like unto this man who's a merchant man. His whole life, he was buying and selling pearls. And he finds this one pearl of great price, and he says, that's it. I don't need to look any further. He sold everything that he had. And I've often, often thought, I know that that's a, a, a parable, so to speak, but but if any, in, in real life you would look at a person like that and say, what, a, what an idiot, you know, what a fool, what has he done for that? But that's they don't because they don't know him. You see what I mean? To, to give up everything to have Christ to a lost world does look foolish. It looks foolish. Paul said, for counted as the offscourging of the world, you know, we're just mocked and ridiculed. And, uh, but we have Christ. And it says, uh, in him, this commentary says, we have one who's greater than the prophets. We have one who's greater than the angels. The one is, who's greater than Moses. Greater than Joshua. One whose priesthood is superior to that of Aaron. One who serves in a better sanctuary. One who has introduced a better covenant. 
one who is the antitype of the typical furniture and veil, in other words, the types and shadows, he's fulfilled it. One whose once for all offering of himself for sin is superior to the repeated sacrifices of bulls and goats. Just as the stars fade from view in the greater glory of the sun, so the types and shadows of Judaism pale into insignificance before the greater glory of the person and work of the Lord Jesus. I just love the way you put that. And y'all, you may have heard it sometimes. I have, and and I, I don't, I don't uh, like it. I don't agree with it when people just say belittle the law, or they belittle the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. When I see nothing there to belittle, I'm not part of it. But in a sense, I'm part of it because my Savior came out of that. You know what I mean? He was, he was like uh, foretold and foreshadowed all through that. It was types and shadows. The law, Paul said, was a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. So why would I belittle that? It served its purpose. Now, it would be even sinful, foolish and sinful for you and me as believers. We've tasted the, the Lord. We know the Lord. We've met this Messiah. He lives in our hearts. Our sins are forgiven. It would be foolish and wrong of us to go back under a system that is over. It's dead in the sense that Christ fulfilled it. But that doesn't mean I have any room to mock it and say, oh, you're, you know, just, I don't know, just to ridicule it. Those men of God and women of God in the Old Testament knew God and walked with the Lord. There were people before the law. There were people that lived during the law. And we're living on this side of the law. But I have seen nothing there to ridicule. I'm thankful that it served its purpose. I'm thankful that uh, for the, the holiness that was taught through it. The, the foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Those animal sacrifices and the scapegoat and things like that. There were pictures of Christ and what he would do for us. I don't want to ridicule that. I also don't want to go back under that. Because... I've often likened it like to, let's say there's getting ready to be a Super Bowl. And, you know, uh, Super Bowl, they hype it up for two weeks. You know, it goes on forever. And uh, it would be like going back once the game is finished or the game is started to go back to the pregame stuff. You know what I mean? That might be an incomplete example. But it's like, why would I go back to that now? What we've been waiting for is here. And Jesus fulfilled it. So I just wanted to point that out. I don't at all see the Bible in the New Testament or Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He said, I don't see him ridiculing or belittling the law. I see him being very honest about the law and said the law could not do such and such. Could not save. Okay? But it was never given as a Savior. The Lord never said in the, in the Old Covenant, look to, to this law and be ye saved. He said, look unto me and be saved. Okay? So what the problem was that the, the typical Jew of this day, and I'm saying Orthodox Jew of this day still, is was was looking and thinking that they had a righteousness because of the law. Their Jewish heritage, the law was given to us, you know, it came through the Jewish line and so forth, and we have it and we cling to it, and we're not like those Gentiles, and there was a pride and there was an arrogance. And even uh, John the Baptist said when the Pharisees came out to his baptism, he says, uh, don't think to say within yourself, we have Abraham as our father. See, they would hang their hat on that. That's our, that's going to get us to heaven. Or that's going to make us right with God. That Abraham is our father. And he was. But he says that God can raise up 
sons of Abraham from these stones right here. You need to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. The Savior's coming. Get ready to meet him. And they rejected him. So in that sense, the law would be an utter failure because they did, it didn't serve and those individuals, didn't serve the purpose God gave it for. The law was not a failure. The law never promised salvation. It did do what it said it would do. It says it was weak through the flesh. If you have a covenant, and there's two parts in it, there's God, the lawgiver, and the lawmaker, and the Lord of the universe, and then there's the one, the people, the Jewish people that he just chose. The Bible says he chose them because he chose them. He chose to set his love upon them, and he made this covenant with them. And the weakness of that chain, that's two links of, of chain hooked together. The weakness was not the law. It was not the Savior, but the weakness was the inability of sinful man to keep it. And even in that, there was mercy. And even in that, there were sacrifices that God would accept as atonement or covering for the sins of the people that lived under that system. But none of that would save the man. David knew that. People, there were men of God that knew it. And they couldn't know it. Samuel knew it. You see, David said, uh, sacrificing on burnt offerings thou wouldest not. That's not what you're after. Broken in a contrite heart, a broken spirit. And so David knew that, but he still loved the law. You understand what I mean? The law still taught him the way to live. The law still taught him about this, this God and, and how to approach him and things like that. So I just wanted to say that as we move into this. But the three things we're going to really look at tonight are in these first three verses. Jesus Christ is better, okay? And I want us to look at this in, in the first scripture where it says, God, uh, with sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. The prophets play a huge part in the Bible. They do. John the Baptist was the last, really, of that line of prophets, I guess you would say, who introduced the Savior. But the prophets played a huge part. And when it says God who had sundry times and in diverse manners, it just simply, you might have a different translation. It just means at different times and in different ways, basically. Some was written down, some was oral, you know, some was, uh, you know, passed on by tradition or whatever it may have been. But it's different times and different ways that God was speaking through his prophets. And I want you to look at a couple of verses, if you would. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 23. We're in a small enough group. I might, might actually ask y'all to read. Matthew 23, 33. I'm sorry, 34 and 35. Somebody would like to read that. I'm going to look at another verse here. Yeah. Therefore, behold, I say unto you, prophets, and wise men and scribes, and some of them shall kill the creature of God, and some of them shall be scorned to the synagogues, and persecute them from city to city. But upon you that come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, and the blood of righteous Abel, and the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakaius, who you stood between the temple and the altar. Okay. And we see that that was Jesus coming and saying, the, 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 He sent the prophets to the Jewish people to testify of Him. 
to testify of the coming of the Savior, to testify maybe of judgments that were coming their way, like um, Jeremiah and some of the others prophesied of coming judgments that were to come, the Babylonian captivity or whatever it may be. But the Jews never received as a whole, the individual people did as a whole, they never received the real prophets that were sent to them. They received a false prophet, you know, that spoke, spoke up what they wanted to hear, uh, but they wouldn't receive as a whole the real ones that that were laying it all out there, like Ezekiel or Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Or, they just wouldn't. And it was just the hardness of their heart that God still, it was like God would have a witness. He would have somebody that was testifying. The whole nation of Israel might be in rebellion. But there's somebody who's saying, thus saith the Lord. Somebody that's telling them, here's the real deal. Here's how you've gone astray. Here's what God requires. Here's how he'll have mercy if you'll return. You know what I mean? Always. And he says, some of them you slew, and some of them you stoned, and some of them you, you did different things to. to and and uh, I'll just read this. If you're taking notes, you can just jot it down, down. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by, their, by his messengers, the prophets were God's messengers. These aren't just people that are trying out this get a following. They're real prophets, okay? Rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. He sent prophets to the people because he had compassion on them. He wanted them to hear and they, they might not be listening so he sent a prophet to, to proclaim it in the streets or to proclaim it in the temple or the tabernacle or wherever it might have been. Walk through the streets and proclaim it. And uh, let's all turn to one more right here. Uh, Jeremiah 725. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear. So the Lord likens the rejection of the prophets to a rejection of him, right? They, 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 I sent my, my prophets, my messengers, and they didn't hearken to, to me, he says, when they spoke. God's not playing around when he speaks through his word, for example. Um, he's, he's expecting us to, to respond by faith and in obedience to what he says here in his word. But what we're reading back in, in Hebrews is that that in these last days, God has spoken to us how? Through His Son. Is that not better? It is better. Okay? It's better. It's also very clear to me that the last days, when the Bible speaks of the last days, in these last days, has spoken to us by His Son. I believe that's a time period. I believe the last days are from the resurrection of Jesus Christ until the, the second coming of the Lord, okay? Then you get into things like the millennium, millennium reign, millennial reign, I'm sorry, the eternity of eternities, the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. But between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the second coming of the Lord, that's a time period that's called the last days, the latter days, the end times, the end days. That's this period of time. We're living in this time. And it says right here that in these, not in those, the author of this book said, in these last days he's spoken unto us 
by his son. That also tells me I'm not looking for Joseph Smith or some other prophet to come along with a uh, newer revelation. We believe the Bible, but we have a newer revelation that we lay on top of that. The Book of Mormons and the Pearl of Great Price, and they stack them up with the Bible, and they say they're equal to the Bible. It's all God's revelation. But if there's a discrepancy between the Bible and one of their other books, they're going to go with their other books, you know? And so... Uh, God has spoken unto us through His Son. I'm not looking for a fresh new revelation in that sense. There are fresh new words like, uh, you know how the Bible says, I think in, in Revelation 12, that the, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And think about it, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So it's not just some prophecies flying around and we got to get it. Oh, I never heard that before. And my, my walk with God is incomplete if I don't have their prophecy. That's when you really have to start saying, time out. Time out. I, I, I believe God can still give prophecies, but it's still going to line up with this word. He's still speaking through His Son. If that prophecy is not directing me to this Bible, or directing me to this Savior who's already spoken, or it's describing this Savior in a different way, or something on different requirements or anything like that, uh, you can toss it out because he has revealed himself, uh, it manifests himself, God has through his son Jesus Christ, apparently, and then he's spoken to us in these last days by his son. That's how he's spoken. That's how he's chosen to speak. And so it shouldn't be confusing. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't wonderful ministers of the gospel with the spirit of prophecy in the sense of their testimony for Christ or their preaching and teaching can be prophetic. In fact, I think it should be. Not always foretelling the future, but like had that living, breathing life to it. You know what I'm saying? The testimony of Jesus Christ and the spirit of prophecy. And so I'm not against prophecy, but it has to be, it's not going to be something totally off the wall or new. Again, like your life and your pursuit of God is incomplete. Your knowledge of God is incomplete without this prophet or his prophecies and so forth. I don't believe that's at all what the Bible teaches. It teaches that he's spoken to us through his son. And so that's one of the, the things that's mentioned here. So Jesus is better than the prophets. Okay, He's better than the prophets. The Bible says that uh, when Jesus gave that parable about the seed and the sower, he, he explained it to his disciples. He said, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see these things that you've seen and to hear the things that you've heard and have not seen them and not heard them. Jesus fulfilled it all. Every one of those prophets is wonderful. I mean, I'm not one, one thousandth of the man of God that these people were. But every one of them had a snapshot, some more than others. In, in other words, they would have a glimpse Isaiah had a lot. He was born of a virgin, and, he's, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and the wonderful counselor. He's going to be called the, the, the you know, Prince of Peace and so forth. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. He, but it's still, there'd be bits and pieces. Then he had Isaiah 53 about nails are going to, you know, he's wounded for our transgressions and, and so forth. But all the prophets had pieces, pieces of the whole picture. But when Jesus came, that was it. All the types and shadows in the Jewish feast and the tabernacle worship and the, and the sacrifice, sacrificial system and the washing of the garments and everything down to the teeth 
It all had a purpose. It all had a purpose. The candlestick, the showbread, it had little holes in the unleavened bread and so forth. All of it pointed to Jesus Christ. And when he came, he fulfilled it all. And when he came, it was like it was like you'd have a bunch of little, let's say the, the lights went out and it was pitch dark and we'd all maybe light a match or a little candle. But then when the, when the lights come back on and the sun comes out, it just dwarfs those little lights. They're just nothing. And so when Jesus came and, and fulfilled it all, you know, uh, the prophecies in, the, in Matthew about, you know, they in the land of Naphtali, you know, upon them the light is shown. Uh, Jesus Christ coming. He just eclipsed it all. And it was like, wow, if you're still looking at a little candle, a sin of the Jewish law, and the Savior has come who's the light of the world, you're missing it. You're missing it. And so I don't have to belittle the law. I'll belittle the one who would, I, I would not belittle, the one who's looking to that law to be saved. You need to kind of say, okay, he's come now. Get your gaze over here. Here he is, okay? And he's spoken unto us in these days by his son, the Bible says. The revelation of his prophets was partial. Partial, and uh, the Lord now has spoken to us by His Son and says, "Jesus Christ." Let's, if you're still reading in Hebrews chapter one, hath in these last days, verse two, spoken unto us by His Son. Now we're just going to talk about Christ a little bit. Who hath the point? Who hath He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. And that's, that tells us a lot right there as well, that Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. And the Bible tells us that we are joint heirs with Jesus. We've been made joint heirs with Jesus. So uh, in Romans 8, it says, He that spared not his own son, but offered over for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Because Christ is the heir of all things, and we're in Christ. We didn't just join a religion. We got born again. Mm -hmm. We got born of the Spirit. He tells us that we are joint heirs with Almighty God and the things of Christ. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And God the Father has made Jesus heir of all things. Okay? Heir of all things. A couple of verses just real quickly. I'm going to read from Revelation. If somebody would turn while I'm reading there to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, and have that ready. The other scripture I'm about to give is Revelation 15. The end, uh, 11, I'm sorry, 11.15 at the end of this verse. It says, the kingdoms of this world, Revelation 11.15, the second half, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Don't you think that would be encouraging to a people that were discouraged? To a people that might have been tempted it's not worth it. I lost my friends. I lost my family. I lost my job. I lost my social life. Everything I lost because I gave my life to Christ. And in this, right at, right off the bat, in this letter to the Hebrews, he's saying that that Christ is the heir of all things. And we read in Revelation that that the kingdoms of this world have become by that time in Revelation, which is future, the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. It's all going to be His. Can we be patient? Can we wait? Can we hang in there? Can we endure? Can we persevere? We can, not by our own strength, but by the Lord in us. 
given us the faith. One of the other themes in this book, obviously, would be faith. We know about Hebrews 11, which we'll get to. So it was a provoking them to see what they had in Christ is better. Did anybody look up Philippians 3.21? If, if anybody did, can they read it? Yeah, I got it. Okay. We shall change our moral body that it can be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working of God. He is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Okay, everything is going to be subdued unto the Lord. He's the heir of all things, and we're going to be part of that. And it says, uh, we probably won't discover everything tonight, but look at the end of verse 2 where it says, He's heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. And I love talking about creation. I think it's important. Uh, I think it's, it's a lot of times can be, you know, just in Christianity in general, can be put as, as a, almost a side issue. Like it doesn't really matter what you believe about creation. You want to believe the Big Bang or you want to believe in evolution. Just as long as you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again and so forth. It matters. It matters what we believe about creation. This is not a teaching on creation, but it does say right here that Jesus Christ, that God's Son, is the heir of all things. And it says, by whom? By Christ also he made the worlds. The Lord made everything. I cannot cherry pick and pick and choose what I want to believe out of the Bible and say, I really believe this with all of my heart, but this other part I don't believe or I don't think it's important. Who am I to say? what's important from Genesis to Revelation that says in 2 Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all of it, all of it, that means Leviticus. When you're like, I want to skip over that. I want to get to Gospel of Matthew. I want to get to the Psalms and the Proverbs. Uh, don't. I'm just telling you, don't. Even though it might seem to us a little dry to read it, I promise you there's a purpose in it. There's a God who's detailed and he gave that law for a reason. He was revealing himself even through that. And so, but he made all things. The Bible says in the beginning, John, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we get the Gospel of John, and it says that, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And we go on and on through the scriptures like that. I got a couple to read real quickly. It's a wonderful passage. But, uh, I'm going to ask Dee, would you read Psalm 24, 1 and 2? And the rest of us, can we turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15? Colossians 1, we'll start in verse 15. But I'm going to let Dee read the Psalm first. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the waters. Okay. I love stuff like that. It's all through the Bible. If you're reading through Jeremiah or even Nehemiah, there's scriptures in those books, Job, that you think, well, Job's just going to talk about his suffering, and Nehemiah's just going to talk about the rebuild of the law. But all these books have scriptures about God creating everything. It's really amazing. It matters. And that's the God that we serve. And God has chosen to do that through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the beginning was the Word, and so forth. And looking at this one in Colossians 1, uh, so let's pick up verse 15. It says, Who is the image? Speaking of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven. I mean, could this be more clear? It's important, y'all. It's exciting to me as well. Not just for a, 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 a theology, to have my theology straight. It's exciting to me when I read things like this. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So not only did he make all things, he created them for a purpose. Uh, he created the earth to be inhabited. He created men to worship God and know God and walk with him. It matters. There's a purpose to it. And he is before all things. So he, he's not part of his creation. He is before all things. And by him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now we're speaking specifically about the church body who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. That's how God has chosen it to be, his son. It's awesome. What do we have? In, uh, or what do these Jew, Jewish Christians have? They had Christ. Like we said, they had Christ. That's who they had. And, uh, and so it's just awesome to know that. And the Bible says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He, he, he not only made it, but he upholds it and keeps it going. Scientists scratch their head and they say, well, the sun's going to burn out and all these different things. It's all winding down. But the Bible says it's like a clock beating that's winding down, like a garment that's going to wax old and you'll fold it up and there'll be a new one. But until then, the Lord keeps it going. He, he gives the the birds their food every day. You know, we don't think about stuff like that. He, he keeps it all. He spoke it all in creation by his word. And then it says in, in the, what we read in Hebrews that he sustains it all by the word of his power. He sustains it all by the word of his power. And it's just an awesome thing. So let's let's read the, read the last verse. This is what we'll, we'll cover tonight and we'll be done. Okay, he made all things, in verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And there's just so much in these three scriptures, y'all. There's so much. But again, he, he didn't make, only make everything, he sustains it, he upholds it. He didn't need help when he, when he uh, purged us of our sins either, by himself. When he by himself had purged our sins. The word purge, uh, I have it right here, the word purge means washing off, cleanse, or purification. That's what the Lord has done with our sins. A washing off, a purification, um, what's the other word I had here? A cleansing from our sins. And he did it by himself. And the Bible says in Revelation, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto our God. We don't look to anyone else but the Lord. We're not trying to help God. We're not trying to help his grace. We're not trying to assist him. He's the Savior. Look unto me and be saved. That, that serpent on the stake back in Moses' day was a type and shadow because Jesus said it was as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What in the world is he talking about? 
the people were complaining and murmuring and grumbling against God. He sent fiery serpents among them. They were poisonous. They were biting the people. They were dying. What do I do, Lord? The Lord said, I got something that will, will be the Savior in a temporary sense for these people. You fashion a, a snake like those snakes that are biting people, and you put it up on a pole, a brass serpent, and you hold it up. Whoever looks upon that serpent, if they've been bit, they're going to be healed, and so forth. And they did, and it worked, okay? It was a type and shadow of Jesus becoming sin. You say, why would you be a serpent that's so, I don't know, it doesn't seem like a picture of Christ. Let him do a lamb or a, you know, or a, or a lion of the child of Judah or something beautiful. But it was, it was the thing that was killing them is what was the image that was up there. And the Bible says, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. There was no beauty that we should desire him, Isaiah says. And he was, uh, he did that though by himself. We don't help out or assist in our salvation. We put genuine saving faith in the Savior to save us. And by his grace, he saves us. By his grace, he brings us all through this life. Doesn't mean you don't have anything to do. It means we're not assisting God. We're not helping God. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of the Lord and you. It's of the Lord. But we put our faith, and it has to be genuine saving faith, in the Lord to save us by Himself. By Himself, right? And that's what the Bible just said. That by Himself, He purged uh, our sins. And when He was through, and we'll close with that, with this, when He was through, uh, somebody look up Ephesians 1 7 if they would. there can read it. I will be looking up something else. Ephesians 1 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, okay. according to the riches of his mercy. Amen. Forgiveness simply means freedom, pardon, pardon, deliverance, liberty. When people are genuinely saved, they're excited. When people are genuinely saved, they're thankful. Uh, that woman that was washing Jesus' feet, and, and uh, the Pharisees were looking down their nose and so forth in Simon's house, it says her sins, which were many, are forgiven. And it had an effect on her. You understand what I'm saying? If it's real salvation, it's going to have an effect on us. Just the fact that our sins are forgiven. Isn't that enough? Okay? It's our sins that hold us, uh, that... The wage of sin is death. It doesn't lead to death. The wage of sin is death. And and he has freed me from that. He's not only forgiven my sins, but he's broken that power, the Bible says, of sin. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. And so this is all because of Jesus Christ. He's done that in his work on the cross. And it says when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And that is where he is now. And when Jesus healed the, uh, you know, the, the man, it's in three of the four Gospels, this story where the, there was the paralyzed man and his four friends were carrying him on a little pallet, a little bed, and they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. So they actually broke up the tile roof. It says in one of the Gospels, they broke the tiles up. And they lowered him down a rope. It must have been an amazing sight, you know, to actually be like, what in the world is going on? 
And in the first thing Jesus said to him, we know he'd been healing the multitudes and casting out devils and all kinds of things. And the first thing he said to the man is, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Son of man came to seek and save the lost. Son of man came to save the world from sin. That is why he came. He wasn't confused about it. All the miracles and so forth were testimonies or, or testaments of, of who he was. That, you know, that this is proof that he, I am who I say I am. He even said, if you don't believe my words, believe me for the miracles sake. They testify that I am who I am. But he came to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I cheat. And so the first thing he says to the paralyzed man is your, sons are, your sins are forgiven. And what was the reaction of the Pharisees and the crowd? They, they, they didn't speak it. It says they reasoned in their hearts, who is this man that forgiven sins? And Jesus said when he perceived their thoughts, he said, why do you reason in your hearts about me saying that about sins? Whether it's easy for me to say your sins are forgiven or say rise up, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God is what they were thinking. Well, that's exactly right. They were right about that. They were wrong about who that was that was standing in their presence. That was God in the flesh. You've seen the Father. You've seen me. Okay? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. And it's, so he says that you may know the Son of, of God or the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he does. He's still forgiven sins today. The last little bit of verse 3, and we'll close with this, is that afterwards, when he had, past tense, heard by himself, purged our sins, then he did something. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This is very similar to in creation. On the seventh day of creation, the Bible says, and the seventh day God rested. It's not a rest like I've been out, you know, cutting the grass and then weedy and then pulling weeds and then cutting the trimming some branches and I'm like done. You know, it's July and it's the middle of the day and I've had it and we just we rest. Our bodies need rest. It wasn't that the Lord needed to rest. It means he ceased. He was complete. It was finished. So he rested from his work. He rested from his work of creation and we looked at it. He says it's good. Oh, it's very good. It's not evolving to become good. It's good. Right now. Okay? Same thing for when Jesus finished on the cross. He said, it's finished. It's done. We don't have to add to that. There's nothing that we could add to that. If we tried to add that, it would be presumption on our part. It would be pride on our part. And uh, it was finished. And it says he has sat down right now when he ceased. He sat down not because he was tired. He sat down with the right hand of the majesty on high. It's a position, y'all. It's speaking of a position. I know y'all know that. It's a position of authority. It's a position of power. We use the little phrase, my right-hand man. Okay? That's kind of, uh, in, a, in a layman's term, I guess, what Jesus is to the Father. And one day soon, he's going to say, Son, go get your church. Go get your bride. Go get... And, and he's going to send it from the right hand of the Father. It's a position of authority. That's where he is now. Because the work of redemption, all that had to be done, is done. We can't add to it. Okay, We can't take away from it. I don't want to. I'm thankful for it. I just want to study and learn and grow in Jesus and grow in Christ. And so uh, I just want to read this scripture. Uh, two, two scriptures as we close. If you're taking notes and you want to jot them, Matthew 26, 64. 
and then 1 Peter 3.22, Matthew 26.64, and 1 Peter 3.22. The first one from Matthew is Jesus standing before Caiaphas, the high priest, in the council when he's getting ready to be crucified. It was a mock trial. It wasn't a legitimate trial. It was just a way for them to accuse him and get him on the cross. But Jesus said unto them, Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the cloud, clouds of heaven. You're going to see it. They might not be ones going you know, with the Lord or on the right side. They might be outside of Christ. But he says, hereafter you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The last scripture who is gone into the heavens, speaking about Jesus Christ, and is on the right hand of God. Listen, angels and authorities and powers being made subject <coughs> unto him. This is the God we serve. And we're going to close with that tonight. We've got these three verses, but I always think, what's the hurry? You know what I mean? We're just going to go through God's word, and, uh, and, and God can interrupt our series on Hebrews anytime he wants, but... You know, if he doesn't, we're going to just study through Hebrews on Wednesday nights like this, little by little. And um, I also want to say, we're going to be ready to, to pray. And I know it's awkward. Just, we just have to bear with each other, okay? But still, I want us to have an altar. I believe the altar is important. We've grown up. We know about the altar. And it's, it is important. So if the altar is, he put the little pillows around. So if you want to kneel on them, and face your chair and keep your knees up from these hard brick floors or whatever. To to let's not just rush out uh, like at a Bible study. Nothing wrong with Bible studies, but like have that time with the Lord. Uh, Dee's going to come up here and play, and, and we're going to pray. And just however long, just take some time with the Lord. Let Him speak to you. Meet with Him. Surrender something to God. Altar is a place of death where. For a sacrifice, a place of sacrifice. You know, where I always liken it to it like in a church altar like this. It would be like where we where we where we seal the deal, kind of how I think of whatever God dealt with me about in that sermon or that message or whatever was shared that night or morning. When I go to the altar, it's not just like me saying, Okay, that was really good. It's like me taking what was spoken, knowing it's for me. And say, I'm going to get this with me and God. And I'm going to get on my knees or at that altar. And I'm going to let him deal with me about it. And I'm going to surrender what I need to, to him about it. And by faith, you know, trust him for whatever it is. You know, whatever it is. And so I'm just going to pray. William's going to play and just sing a little very softly. And I just want to encourage you. Again, it might be a little weird, but this is, our, this is where we're fellowshipping right now. God's got it under control, y'all. I don't want to be caught up with all those little things like that. Um, just come before the Lord. Meet with the Lord. Where you, if you want to get up, walk around. You walk around. Make a big circle. Whatever you want to do. But I, I'm going to pray. And just this, is, this altar is open right now. But Father, we just are so thankful. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that what we have in Jesus Christ is better. It's better than what this world offers. It's better than what any religion offers. It's better than what... The, the Jews had under Judaism. We, we're going to learn your word. We're going to study this.
this, but God, even in these first three verses, that that you are the express image of God, that you are the, the heir of all things, and we're joint heirs with you, that you're the creator of all things, and you uphold it by the word of your power, that you by yourself purged our sins away from us and cleansed us, that you're seated at the right hand of, of the Father in authority and power, God. We don't want to be forgetful hearers, God. You spoke to us tonight. It's not boring to us, God. It's not uh, just head knowledge for us. We want to take this Christ that we just read about. These last days you've spoken to us by your Son. What a kind God. What a good God you are to us, Lord. We're thankful for the salvation that we have through Jesus. We want to know you more, like Paul said. And we know you, but we want to know you more. We want to forget those things that are behind. We want to press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ God, for a little while, on our knees, God, or walking around or sitting at our, uh, where we are, God, before we rush out, God, and do what we're going to do, God, we want to take this time with you, God. We trust you, God. I pray you grow us, God, individually, and grow us as a fellowship, as a body, and our love for God, and our faith, and our thanksgiving, God, to you.